0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. Would you please open it up to Second Samuel chapter ten we're going to be there just for a second and then uh, you can put your finger there, but we're really going to kind of land on first Corinthians sixteen so we're spending the Old and New Testament. Um, if you have a device, I have no idea how you're going to make this work out, but I just hope that it does. Hopefully, your technology works better than ours today. So that really is uh, is something that we hope for you. Um, well, we are uh, we're in our last message of the of a series that we've been doing called Rethink, and we started this this series on Mother's Day, and we're intentionally kind of bookending it on the other side on Father's Day. So I, I would just say this: if you're a father, I just want to say thank you for doing what. You do. Um, just thank you for, for making all of the sacrifices that you make. Thank you for, for loving your wife if you're a follower of Jesus. And we're told that we are to love our wives just as Christ has loved the church. And we're supposed to, to care for and to, to fight for uh, our children and their faith. And I just want to say, if you're doing that, rock on. I am so uh, so proud of you and just keep doing what you do. I know you don't do it perfectly, none of us do, and God's grace is sufficient for that. So, what we've been talking about through the really the course of this, this series, just so you kind of have a, a, a little snapshot as to where we've been and, and why we're here, uh, we've looked at a bunch of different things, and really the, one of the things that, that have been driving this is we're to rethink that every one of us have an ethic. Or a rule of behavior that we live by. All of us. What you do, how, what, the words that you say, where you work, the way you respond to your coworkers, the way you respond to your boss, all of that is governed by an ethic. And the question that, that we've been kind of attacking from a bunch of different angles is, what ethic do you live by? Because we can live by an ethic that's not a biblical ethic. We've looked at, at the, just the joy and the purpose. And we've talked about last week specifically on how don't waste your singleness. So if you're single people, you can find this online at com backslash messages and look for the compass. And it's talking about singles, singleness and not wasting your singleness. We, we talked about, we had a kinder, gentler message on Mother's Day for you mothers just to honor you. Um, and then we talked about marriage and really the ins and outs of marriage and really what God's purpose is for marriage. How it's not just to make us happy, but it's to make us holy, which means that sometimes we're not going to be happy. Amen? Um, because for, for God to do His work through the gospel, and if He's going to use our spouse to do it, sometimes... It's not always going to be happy land. Sometimes it's just God's pursuit of our hearts and to make us more like Himself. Well, we land on Father's Day, and this message... um... Uh, you maybe didn't, didn't know this. This is actually geared for fathers, duh, right? And, uh, this is gonna be very direct. So even the, the message, if you're, if you've been around DBC or not been around DBC, you'll find that this message is, is more direct than other messages because men need directness and men, this is for you. Um, whether you're a father, a man, or a young man, I think that this would be, be very beneficial, beneficial for you. And also, Um, If you're in support of uh, men, fathers or young men, this will be beneficial so you know where they're coming from and what you can encourage them to do. Well, the reason why I said 2 Samuel, we're literally just going to kind of start there and then ramp into our main text is one of the things that I think we, we have to kind of process and rethink in our culture is what manhood and what fatherhood looks like. And unfortunately, maybe you disagree with me and, and, and we can we can have unity and disagree on many things, and this being one of them. I think that the image of manhood or fatherhood right now in our culture is not a good one as a matter of fact, I think that that, that men And fathers kind of do that to themselves in some way. But I think also culture is driving the image of manhood and fatherhood downward instead of like what we should be is be uh, great people who would just advocate for our family. The culture is wanting to suppress us. And I think that it's really trying to re the image of what a man is is trying to be reshaped. So my hope is by the end of this men that you would be encouraged and that you would be rethinking your role, rethinking your purpose in your home, rethinking your relationship with your kids, rethinking your relationship with other men and young men. And yet as we start in 2nd Samuel 10 I do apologize for no technology today. I'm not going to put you through anything else if this goes wrong. So we're just going to be flying under the radar today. No technology, all right? Um, typically, we have a bunch of technology that happens. But what I found is this amazing text that I think gives a picture-perfect view of what manhood and fatherhood looks like in our culture. Join me, if you will. Second Samuel chapter 10, verse 1. In the course of time, the king of the Ammonites died, and his son Hanun succeeded him as king. David thought, I will show kindness to Hanun, son of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent a delegation to express his sympathy to Hanun concerning his father. So far, so good. Somebody died. David's wanting to honor the the descendants of the person who died. So far, so good. When David's men came to the to the land of the ammonites the ammonite nobles said to Hanun their lord do you think david is honoring your father by sending men to you to express sympathy hasn't david sent to you uh, sent them to you to explore the city and spy it out and to overthrow it so hanun three things we're going to see from this text so hanun sees david's men he shaved off half of each man's beard he cut off their garments in the middle at the buttocks got a picture of that and he sent them away and he sent them away here are the three things that I think are a picture of what manhood looks like and fatherhood looks like in our culture for one they're beaten down for one they're beaten down and some of you ladies have been the cause of this some of you have some of you have not upheld your men as much as you should have and I realize that's correct. But if you feel offended by that, it's possibly because you know that it's true. So men feel beaten down. They're half the men they once were. In their culture, if you were to cut off a man's beard, it, was, it would be like emasculating him. So they cut off half the man's beard. So now they're not even feeling like men anymore. Where are their place now? Now they have to go away. They feel like they have to go away because they've been beaten down. The second thing is they cut their garments, literally cut their garments just around their cheeks so that their hind end is showing. And if that happened to you or if that happened to me, we would do this. We would feel embarrassed and we would feel humiliated. And I think, I just I'm telling you as a man, and this is something that I study, as a matter of fact, if there's anything that I enjoy teaching, this is, the, this is it. Like this is stuff that revs me up. This is how I spend my free time. I study this stuff. I try and live it out imperfectly as I do. And the tendency is this, this morning, it's for me to get out in front of the text to tell you everything that I believe is happening. But I don't want to do that. And as a matter of fact, I've prayed against that. I want to get behind God's Word, and I want God's Word to be the driver of this. But I think if we're honest, we would see that the ethic, and really what's being driven in our culture right now, is true with this text from Second Samuel. Men are feeling like half the men they once were. They're feeling embarrassed. They feel like failures, and they feel like they've been humiliated. And any time that that happens to a man, probably the same as the ladies. Not that I'm an expert of either. What are you going to do? You're going to run away. That's exactly what's happening in our culture. There are a lot of fatherless children in our culture right now. I'm just growing astronomical levels. And I believe that you could trickle down to these three things. Men are feeling like failures and they're abandoning ship. Pardon the pun. And they're abandoning their role as men and fathers in the home. And everybody suffers. So if, if you, men, you kind of feel the weight of that, and you feel like, you know what, that's kind of me. I kind of feel beaten down. I've been humiliated. I'm, I'm kind of sick of it. I just want you to know, and I just want to encourage you with this, don't run away. Don't run away. As a matter of fact, I think the best text to get into is 2 Corinthians chapter 16. That's where we're going right now. At the end of this letter, we talked about this last week. At the section of the scripture last week, when it talked about singleness, Paul was kind of answering specific questions the pe- that the people had had. And there were all kinds of things happening in this church. This church was seven sorts of jacked up. I don't even know how jacked up that is, but that's bad, right? If it's seven times, it's bad. It's like things were going horribly uh, awry in that church. and And there were men dressing as women and women dressing as men. And there was all kinds of corruption within the church and just... Just weird things going on, right? Just weird things. Some of those things are being brought about even in our culture. But where we land in this section of 1 Corinthians, it's after he's answered all those questions. He'd gone through most of the doctrinal things and kind of the scolding, if you will. He was kind of the father or just the elder of that church in Corinth. And the church was all messed up. And Paul loved them. And he cared for them. And he cared for that church just as you fathers would care for your children. Sometimes you, you love them and support them and then sometimes you have to discipline them. And that's exactly what Paul did in this letter. Well, now we get to the end of the discipline. And now chapter 16, he's in the home stretch of this specific letter. He'll write more, but this was the first. Now we get in the home stretch and he's just giving some personal remarks. So he's kind of, he's talking about, he's talking to, gives some instructions for people specifically. And then it seems kind of out of place when you kind of land on verse 13 because he'd kind of got on and, and been given these personal encouragements and things like that of stuff to do. And then he just kind of lands on this thing, speaking specifically to men. But with this word comes a lot of weight. And with this word comes a lot of responsibility. Now, typically I read from the New International Version. This is actually from the ESV. And just so you know, when when we go there, that you will know exactly what I'm talking about. Paul's words in this text are, are kind of like a commanding officer to his troops. This would be what, the, like the, the commanding officer of, of the rangers when they're taking, uh, when, when they're basically taking Omaha Beach. And this would be the kind of thing that they would say. That he would go in and, and these words, uh, that Paul would be instructing them and, and encouraging them to, to be men and to act like men. And, and what we're going to see in this text, these are the kinds of words he would use. This is the same thing that Robert E. Lee would have said at Manassas. And he's kind of rallying the troop and just as at the second Manassas when they would, they would have that, that great victory so Paul just goes in and he gets all these personal remarks and then he just kind of musters everything that he has and he gives this bold word for the men of of his who are responding to this letter at first and I would say this I want you to receive it in the same way I want you to receive it as someone who has authority over you God has authority over your life and that we must submit and do what it is that God's word tells us to do Chapter 16, verse 13, from the ESV. The ESV is a word-for-word translation. Typically, I use the NIV. And the reason why I make this distinction is the ESV is a a word-for-word. The NIV kind of balances a word-for-word translation and a thought-for-thought. The NIV kind of lands on readability. But when I studied this out, the actual verse... And kind of what I had found about it, the NIV kind of, it changed a little bit and maybe it wasn't the the best translation. So I want to go right from a word for word translation, which is a little different than what you're going to read if you have the NIV, just so you see the difference. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says this, be watchful, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men and be strong. I'll say it again. Be watchful, men. Stand firm in the faith, men. Act like men and be strong. If there's anything that is needed in our culture right now, it is men of, men of God with a backbone for the truth of God's Word. It's men in our homes who are willing to sacrifice for their wives and sacrifice for their kids and fight for their hearts. If there was ever a day, it's today. Because the condition that we find ourselves in our culture is a very precarious one. And in the generations gone by, and I'm not picking on you if you're a different generation from the, than I am, we are reaping the results of things that have gone wrong in previous generations. And now we land at this place where there is no truth and we need men of God to stand up and say, you know what, I know the way, and that they would lead their their wives and their families well. If you want to be called a father, shouldn't there be a place of honor and respect that comes with it? But with that honor and respect comes much responsibility. Be watchful be watchful years ago i spent four years in the navy and one of the things i hated to do was stand watch because it being in the navy we were on a secure navy base with secure uh, perimeter fencing and all this but they used to make us specifically if we're in the lower ranks to go stand watch it was horrible it really really was I mean, I absolutely hated it. Oftentimes we would work, like for me, i work all day, and then I'd have to come back in at midnight and and stand watch from midnight, or from 11.30 to 3.30. I had to do it all the time, especially when I was in the lower ranks. But something that was really amazing to me is when the Air Force would come in town, oftentimes the Air Force would kind of, they would like take the, the hangar right next to ours. And I would be out there in my road guard vest with my flashlight and my radio by the way, there was, like, no one on the other side of the radio, like, who was going to come quick. So if something went down, I was going down, right? So it was, like, bad news. So, they, you know, they trusted me with a radio and a flashlight. And the flashlight had, like, you know, D batteries that were, like, three years old. So I wasn't seeing much, wasn't able to do much, and it was, it was going to go bad for me. So I remember being so captivated because I would be on the flight line walking around the F-18s like I was going to do something. Not wanting to be there, but I would look out and all hours of the night when, when flight ops were not going on at the Air Force unit, they took it much more seriously. As a matter of fact, they had what they called the line of death. So although they were on a Navy base... And when flight ops were not going on, and they would be on a Navy base with a secured fence and a secured area, they would still, they would have a perimeter around it, and they called it the line of death. And they were dudes walking around with M-16s when flight ops were not going on. And I used to think to myself, man, like, I'm doing something wrong here. Like, these guys are protected. Like, I wanted to go buddy up next to them, but I didn't want them to think I was like a bad guy, you know, because that... You know, that whole thing. So I would like I would just kind of sit in and be mesmerized by looking at them because they took their watch very seriously. And you know what? I have to tell you, there were many times where I would stand and watch where I was just like hiding. Like, I was supposed to be out there looking at the airplanes. I don't know. What are they going to do? Fly away themselves? I mean, they're tied down. I, I have no idea. But I have to be out there being watchful and looking at these airplanes, not wanting to be there. But yet, I, I kind of looked over at the Air Force and I'm like, man, they do this right. And, and you know, I think what Paul is telling us is he says, you know what? There's, there's two different ways that we can kind of stand watch. We can we can stand watch and be watchful and we can be ready just in case anything happens and we can be so prepared when it does happen. Or we can take the other side of it, what I call my side of it, where I was totally disengaged, I didn't want to be there, and I was ill-equipped to do anything that I needed to. Which I think is why Paul says also in Ephesians 5 verse 13, Listen to this. He says, But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. So far, so good. For this reason, it says, Awake sleeper and arise from the the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You see, oftentimes we, we read that passage and we're like, What in the world are you talking about? But verse 15 tells us, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise I think he's telling us right there in that text, when when he would go through, in the church in Corinth he says, to to be watchful, I think he kind of shows the two parallels that I tried to set up for you in my analogy. There was my side where you're just kind of asleep at the wheel, totally disengaged from what's going on. Men, some of you are totally disengaged from your role as being men and fathers in your home. You're totally disengaged. As a matter of fact, you're asleep at the wheel and you're stuck in a hobby and you've been there for 20 years. And you're so concerned with lowering your handicap and you're not worried about pursuing your wife's heart. And you need to repent of that. You need to repent very quickly. S- some of you men are so, you're, you're as- asleep, or uh, uh, you know, awake asleep. You're asleep at the wheel, as Paul said in Ephesians 5. You're asleep and you're so stuck at work because everybody pats you on the back at work and you feel so good about yourself and yet you feel like a failure at home, so you stay at work. And who suffers? Who suffers? Your whole family. You have to wake up, man. You have to be watchful. Take the other side of it. And look what he says in verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk. Be intentional about what you do. Understand that you have a specific role to play in your family. As a matter of fact... You are the only one who can fulfill that role. Your wife cannot fulfill that role. She can try, she can exhaust herself trying to do it, but she will fail because she is not supposed to do what you are already called to do. Be wise. Be watchful. Awake sleeper will arise from the dead. Stop getting caught up in football and hobbies. And, and some of you, honestly, I'm just going to give you a bold word, some of you are just lazy. And you come home from work. You come home from work and you think, you know what? I've done everything that I need to do. I'm home from work. I need to have some me time. And you go sit in the recliner and you put your feet up, you grab the remote and you put your hand out ready for a sweet tea to be brought to you. You need to repent of that. You need to repent of that. If you're not exhausted at the end of the day from serving your wife wife well and serving your children well, then you have not done what you're supposed to do as being the father and the man of your home. Being watchful. Being wise. Some of you men are just absolutely afraid of committing. You won't commit to anything because you feel like you'll fail. So you haven't committed to anything. Always trying to keep your options open because you believe in your heart that you'll fail so you don't even start. We've talked about that and just the the fear of failure that comes specifically with men and women, but how that lands on men. We talked about that in the weeks past. Some of you, which I don't understand, some of you, grown men, young men, fathers, are so hung up in video games. You're so hung up in video games, I don't even understand the addiction that comes with it, and I chose that word carefully and purposefully, because it is an addiction. I don't don't understand it, and I'm not knocking you for for doing that, but but just think about how many hours you spend on you when you should be spending on your wife or your kids. Be watchful. Arise, O sleeper. Jesus said this, Matthew 24, verse 42. He says, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. And that's to all Christians. Being watchful, being mindful, living as wise, not as unwise people. These days are brutal on anyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ. They are brutal. We have to stick together. We have to be watchful for one another. But it has to start in our homes. We have to stop wagging our finger at everything Everything that happens in our in, in, within politics and everything that happens in our culture. Those things right now we can't change, but what you can change is the culture within your home. Start with being watchful. Second thing is this, taken right from the text. Stand firm in the faith. I don't know about you, men, I don't know about you, but whenever I was a kid, um, and and I'd kind of get the talk, and it was always different from my dad and my mom, and maybe different in your house too, but but I would get this talk. My dad always had a specific way of handling bullies, right? Can you picture what that was? Don't be the one to start the fight, but it's okay if you're the one to end the fight. That was kind of the deal. I kind of passed this down to my kids. I'm not a children's pastor anymore. I don't know if that's the reason why. I'm not really sure. You may disagree with that. That's what we, choose, but that's what we chose, and, and we can disagree. That's cool. But how, how, do, you, how do you treat a bully? And, and I, I used to get these two uh, contradictory things. My mom was like, well, if you're getting bullied, then what you need to do is you just need to try and get away and run away as fast as you can, right? <laughs> but, but, you see, but see, I love the advice of, you know what? Here's how you handle a bully. You see, if you run away from a bully, a bully is going to continue to run after you. And then as soon as you turn around, the bully's gonna be there. Satan is a a terrible spiritual bully over your life. Pushing you around. Pushing you men around. And man, if you're being pushed around by Satan and you have no spiritual control of your home, and, and honestly, it probably starts with you because you have, you're not having any victories right now. You have no victory over sin, so now you're leading like that. You see, I love the advice that, the other advice. Say, you know what, if a bully comes up to you, here's what you need to do. You need to give one good shot. Pick a good spot, make sure it's sensitive, right? (laughs) Make sure it's a soft spot, do what you got to do, take care of business, and get out of there and protect yourself. Don't be the one to start the fight. But you, you need to be able to handle yourself when it comes. There's a spiritual battle that is waging right now for everyone who calls himself a follower of Jesus Christ. And I believe that God is wanting to rise up men of faith. And He's wanting to rise up fathers to take control of your home, not in a domineering way, but in a loving way. And He's wanting you to man up. To be the man of God that He's called you to be. And the beautiful thing is this, when Satan picks a fight with you, If you recognize that it is Satan's attack against you, if you have the power of God within you, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you do, that means you already have the power to overcome. You already have the power to overcome. Do you know a great way to overcome sin in your life? Once you recognize it, you you, you take hold of it, you hold it captive. You hold it captive. And once you identify it, you see, a lot of times we're asleep at the wheel. We're not watchful of anything. But if you, if you hold captive of that, and you can recognize what what is that attack right now? What is that thing that's holding me back? Do you realize that even Satan and demons have to flee at the name of Jesus Christ? You can cast those out by the power of Jesus Christ. You already have that ability. You already have that power. Men, stand firm in the faith. Ephesians 6, at the the last part of Ephesians 6, it tells us to have spiritual victory. Not to pick a spiritual fight. Satan has already picked it with you. But we can win. And we win with the sword of the Spirit. What is the offensive weapon that we, as, as men and women of faith, boys and girls of faith, that's what we wield to win spiritual battles over our lives. Stand firm in the faith. Stand firm. Stand firm like people who contended for the faith with Joshua and Caleb. I I love that example. I'm I'm praying about maybe teaching through that at the beginning of next year. I love the story of Joshua because when everybody else was a naysayer and everybody else had disbelief, they stood up and said, you know what? I believe God can do it. They, They were firm in their faith. When everybody else in the culture, everybody else was drifting away, he stood up and said, you know what? Our God has the power to overcome. Our God can give us victory. He said, as a matter of fact, if, if if the Lord is leading us, victory is assured for us. So they step forth into that. Think of people like Mordecai in in the book of Esther. I recently read through this too. I just love what Mordecai did for Esther and he kind of stood up as a man of faith and he became an advocate for her when he didn't need to be. Some of of you, you, you don't have any kids of your own. Maybe you're a little bit older and your kids are out of the house and yet you're here. I would say there are people even within this congregation who need spiritual fathers. People who need to step up, like Mordecai did, to step up and speak for Esther. There needs to be men of faith who would step up and say you know what this isn't somebody who was necessarily born into my family but i was reborn into this family but when i was born again that means we're all children of god and some of you need to step up and be spiritual fathers even for the people who are in this room standing firm in the faith some of you just need to be burdened for others like jeremiah Seems like, it, when you look at Jeremiah and you read the, the book of Jeremiah, it seems like it, it isn't a very manly thing that he did. He wept over the city. But I tell you what, I don't think there's anything more manly than what he did. Because when everybody else was running out of the city, as the city was being sieged, he stood up and he, was, he stood firm in his faith and he we manned his post. But he did it in such a compassionate way that he wept over the condition of his people. Men, when's the last time that you've wept over the condition, the spiritual condition of your home? When's the last time, men, that you have wept or even allowed any sort of emotion of the spiritual condition of our community? When's the last time? Perhaps for you, you've just been asleep at work. You've been asleep at a hobby. Asleep trying to gain some personal things. Asleep, fill in the blank. What's God saying to you right now? What's God saying to you right now? We are to stand firm in the faith. I love the, the boldness of Paul and of course his, his letters in the New Testament. He stood up against everybody. And he he stood firm in the faith, and he was such a man of God and he was so strong and he was so courageous and he stood up amongst philosophers, religious people, the, the just the, the Roman Empire, anyone who stood up and he said things ought not be and then he wrote all these personal letters and even a letter like this would that a lot of people it's not a cute and cuddly letter at the early parts of this. He's very bold and very direct. But we need people like Paul. We need people who don't just Read Paul, but people who are Paul in our culture. We need people who are willing to taste, take risks for their faith, to stand firm in their faith. We need to act like men. The, the verb use is a very dramatic verb in stressing masculinity. It's the reason why I chose this text. This this part is the reason why I chose this text. It says, act like men. Make no mistake. He's saying this is masculine speech. Understand this, man. You need to act like men. You don't need to act like women. You don't need to act like little boys. You need to act like men. You you young people, you should be aspiring to be people, to be men and women of God. You should be aspiring now and not to be just settling with, with childlike behavior. But pursuing Christ today, because there's a day that's gonna be coming, and maybe you've lived some years in this. There's gonna be a day that's coming where your faith is gonna be tested. There's gonna be somebody at a college, in a college atmosphere, and there's gonna be a professor who's gonna make you question everything that you believe. You stand firm in the faith, and I just want you to say, I just want you to be aware of this. This is coming, and you young men, act like men. Stand firm in the faith. Be watchful. Be awake spiritually. Be awake. Act like men. There's a wild component in every man and in every father and in every boy that is waiting to be awakened, validated, and invited into danger. There's a wild component in every man, every father, and every boy that is waiting to be awakened, validated, and... And invited into danger. And to be a man is to be predictably dangerous. The reason why it's predictably dangerous is this because somebody who's predictable as a man that I'm talking about in this text, that's somebody you know no matter what, he is going to be stepping forward. It's predictable. You don't pick a fight with that guy because he's moving forward. He's not taking a step back. He's moving forward. It's going to be predictable. You don't pick a fight with that guy because he's going he's to do whatever it takes to overcome. Predictably dangerous because that means he'll do whatever it takes to win. So you know he's just going to keep coming. But on the other side of this, you know he's not going to stop until he wins the fight. Every man of God is to be predictably dangerous. Satan should be on full alert of how you are in the faith. Men, Satan should be on high alert on how well you are loving your wife. He should be on high alert to know that he is not welcome within your home. He's not welcome within your marriage. And he's not welcome within your relationship with your kids. He's not welcome. And yet some of us, we're not acting, or we have a misconception about what a man looks like, and we think men are to live isolated from other men. John Doan said this, No man is an island entire to himself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main." That means every man, every man of God is supposed to fit together. We all have a role to play. We're not supposed to be an island unto ourselves, but a continent. Look at the picture of that. Look at just the mental picture of that. You creative minds can just run with that as far as you want. Just come back in a minute. But think about that. And yet, what does our culture drive us to do, men? It's about you. You go to work. Demand respect at work. Demand respect at home. Be an island unto yourself because it's ultimately about you. And who suffers? You do. Your wife does. Your kids do. You're creating a generational problem known as sin. That every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. And if we're a part of the body of Christ, men, we have to rally together because I don't know about you, I don't have this whole thing figured out. I really don't. I don't have this whole thing figured out. And I need other godly men to speak into my life. And I would, just, I, would just, I would just want to say that you need the same. You need that. If you're operating all by yourself as an island, you are so vulnerable to attack. So vulnerable to be attacked. The last thing is to be Strong. Let me identify some false strengths. I'll do so by a question. Men, what is it that you can't wait to tell other people about you? What is it that you just can't wait to tell other people about you? Like you've been around that guy before. Men, you've been around this guy. At the golf course, he like lives at the golf course. Gone through a few marriages, sits and have a six pack while he's out playing golf. You know he does it every Saturday because he has nothing better to do because he's already delinquent on all of his other relationships. We've all seen that guy, right? Anyone else seen that guy? Am I the only one who's seen that guy? Thanks for being honest. We've all seen that guy. You see what that guy does? He can't wait to tell you his handicap. He's like, yeah, I got a two handicap. That I could be a scratch golfer, but I just don't play golf enough. You know what I mean? Just wanting you to stroke his ego and, oh, that is amazing. That's really good. He wants to show you everything about him that that he just wants to put on a front to what he is controlling what he looks like to you. He just can't wait to talk about it. What is it about you that you can't wait to tell other people about? Maybe it's how strong you are, physically strong. Like I will go to the gym five days a week. I run all these miles, whatever it is that you do. I work out. I'm swole. I'm swole. I'd say the only thing swole is your head. Maybe it's your job title. You're like, you know what? Maybe it's your job title and you're like, you know what? Yeah, I've, I've worked hard for what I have. And I'm in middle management. I've been here for 10 years, but I'm working my way up. Well, I'm the boss. So I'm night shift supervisor. No, no, no. No, no, I'm not like you Peasants. I'm the night shift supervisor. Just can't wait. I'm going to get day shift eventually. Just can't, yeah, it's going to come eventually. What is it, men, that you can't wait to tell other people about? Is it about how strong your faith is? Is it about all the things that God has done for you? See, that's true strength. True strength, as defined by Second Corinthians, is, when we recognize our weaknesses. That's true strength, biblical strength, not worldly strength. True strength is when we just acknowledge before God, I'm all messed up. I don't have the power to do this. As a matter of fact, I'm incredibly weak because what it tells us in the word of God is when we are weak, then we become, what is it? Strong. That's what Paul's talking about. When we understand, when we kind of come to terms with our own humanity and our own weakness and we acknowledge it before God and we confess it as sin and brokenness and the, re- the repentant act is repenting of our false strength and we just lay it at the cross and say, you know what, I am incredibly weak. Then we're able to have the strength that Paul's talking about in this text. The last thing 1st Corinthians 16:14 says all these things and all those seem honestly all those those first things they just really seem like oh this is a, this is what you would expect a man's message to say and be you know be firm in the faith and be watchful and all these things and yeah just masculinity like testosterone is just rising in the room right now right but i have to tell you the last verse of this is is even more important than the previous verse The last verse, 1 Corinthians 16, 14, says this, Let all that you do be done in love. You see, if you do all those other things, you're Rambo. Here's the thing about Rambo. Rambo will take a fool out, right? I mean, he will. He really will. But you notice how nobody's around Rambo? Because he's a danger to everyone that's around him. As a matter of fact, if you've ever seen like the second one, the Vietnamese woman comes in and she actually gets taken out because of him. I'm just saying, it's true. Watch the movie. Clean version. Clean version. But you're Rambo. If you don't have love, you're Rambo. You're out of control. Stand firm in the faith. This is the person whose, whose job and their hobby is to sit and just fire blogs at everyone, like every, every day. And anything that's going on, anything that's going on politically, they'll take a great tragedy and they'll try and politicize it. This is, what the, this is what the media is not telling you. This is what the media is not telling you. That's this guy. He's out of control. There's no love in his heart. This guy, he, he lives in an island of himself in a region called neglect. Neglect. That's where this guy lives. But he says, Let it all be done in love. That means when I'm I'm watching, I'm loving. When I'm acting like a man, I'm loving. When I'm standing firm in the faith, and I'm I'm helping to those within my home, men, those within my home to stand firm in the faith, that means I'm loving. That means I'm not domineering. That means I'm not demanding. That means I'm loving. As a matter of fact, that word is the word agape, and that is sacrificial love. That means that love exists not for itself, but to build up others around him. What an awesome word that is for you and for me. Let all be done in love. If not, we're out of control. We're Rambo, a drifter, and a danger to those that are around us. I'm going to pray, and then I want to read a benediction to you, something we don't typically do, but I just thought that this would really drive everything that that God's Word has, has said to us. I think it would just drive all of it home, and the benediction is actually going to be an old hymn. But if we could, let's just bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, our perfect Heavenly Father, thank You for giving us the opportunity at eternal life. Thank You for loving us despite ourselves, despite the times that we only thought about ourselves. Thank You for pursuing our hearts when we were just lifeless drifters. I thank you for the gospel message of Jesus Christ that He would come to seek and save the lost and weary souls. I thank you for inspiring men in this place to be men. In a culture that's wanting to redefine what a man looks like, Lord God, thank you for your word that teaches us what a man looks like. Father, I pray that just for the for the man and the father who's in here right now, and maybe they maybe their their, their head right now, because of this this talk, maybe their head is is, is up a little. maybe when they came in and they, they kind of felt beaten down, humiliated, less like a man, maybe even emasculated. Father, I pray that you've just given them confidence, a confidence moving forward. And knowing that you would do exactly what you said that you would do. And that we can have victory over personal sins. We just pray it in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. If you would please stand with me. Consider this your benediction if you would please. And I thought it would be fitting that we would leave on a song declaring what we're going to do with what we just heard. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ, the royal master, leads again the foe. Forward into battle, see his banner go. At the sign of triumph, Satan's host doth flee. On then, Christian soldiers, on to victory. Hell's foundations quiver at the shout of praise. Brothers, lift your voices loud, your anthems raise. Like a mighty army moves the church of God. Brothers, we are treading where saints have trod. We are not divided, all one body we. One in hope and doctrine and in charity. Praise God.